Welcome to the Property Experts Podcast, where you'll find open conversations, no bullshit attitudes, and deep dive insights from award-winning property developers and business owners, Ben Richards and Jack Jiggins. Together, they've delivered over 40 million in gross development value over the last five years and have a pipeline of over 25 million to deliver in the next 18 months. They've built numerous other seven-figure businesses with six-figure net profits around their property ecosystem, and it's by no means been an easy ride. So on this podcast, they'll share their weekly trials and tribulations running multiple businesses, giving you never before seen insights into the inner workings of finding, funding, designing, delivering, and selling award-winning property deals, together with golden nuggets of advice through the five key areas of any business, marketing, sales, operations, finance, and talent. If you're a young entrepreneur looking to get started or have a small team, but you're looking to scale your business to the next level, this is the No Bullshit Podcast for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome again for another Expose Live at 5 every Friday at 5 p.m. You are with myself and Ben Richards. And in these episodes, we talk through the highs and lows and discoveries that we have across the group of companies that we operate, some service-based and predominantly in property development. We've got a jam-packed agenda uh, today. The date for podcast listeners is the 22nd of September and what we have got coming up and definitely stay tuned because there's some top tips as far as would you, would you sell or deliver your site with planning a lot of people don't know this but xp do often sell sites with planning permission in place and take a trade why we do that and what you could potentially do in your business i will be sharing products that we've learned tried and tested to create award-winning hmos stay tuned for that We'll be talking about our monthly finance reviews in our companies and why it's important to understand the engine underneath the bonnet. Company performance incentives, Ben will be sort of delving into getting the best out of your team and ensuring that they endure their roles as much as they can. Networking events, uh, backed by popular demand, XP Surveys hosted our second networking event. It's slightly different to others, so stay tuned for what that entailed. Further interviews for our office uh, marketing position. I don't know if anyone else that there is interviewing. We have quite a rigorous recruitment process and we're more than happy to share how we go about that. There's a podcast update coming and also with late government U-turns as far as EPC goes. Uh, we've got a question at the end as well for the Q&A, but keep them coming in as we will get round to any Q&A and answer them as best we can. Cool. Hi, everyone. Cool. <laughs> I'll kick off on this one. So um, we're property developers. We buy land, commercial buildings, sometimes houses, sometimes flats. What do we do with them after we've bought them or even exchange a contract? Frequently in the past, we have sold sites just with planning in place or if you agreed it at a lower value, subsold the contract to someone else. That's also known as a back-to-back. The questions out there might be, why do you do that if you're developers? And how do you come to the decision to sell sites? So as everyone knows, property development is a very lumpy income business. You know, you might be working on a project for two to three years. Our average project turnaround is about 20 months. uh, And you get a payout when you've sold the last number of units out of that scheme. If you're really good, you make some money when you refinance them. But that's pretty difficult, especially in this market. So we've got a few sites coming through and we have the question mark around, do we deliver them or do we sell them? Um, and I'll explain how we arrive at a conclusion. And it can stipulate it on the scheme, the complexity of delivery. Is there other buyers out there that could pay more for this site than we can, can tr- like crystallize that value on that site? 
if you've got smaller sites, sort of small building companies or one-man band building companies might be able to pay a little bit more for the site than you would crystallize that as their bill costs are lower. So can you capitalize on that higher sale value? This is how traders work in the market. And we know a lot of traders that, that are in or out of auctions. But our general metrics tend to be, there's two th- twofold uh, here uh, from a project perspective. And then I'll talk a little bit more about business perspective. So from a project perspective, if we can sell a site with planning in place and make about 60% of the profit that we would have made if we would have delivered it, we will look at exploring that further. So that's in excess of 60%. How have we arrived at that threshold is because there's no delivery risk. You're getting the cash in there day one without having to deliver the site and sell all the units. And you're materially realizing a significant amount of profit that you would have received if you would have sold the site on after you've delivered it. So it's basically trying to bring forward some future value in today's, uh, into the business and then delivering it. Another metric that we really uh, hold high value in, and as an exercise that I think every development company should be doing, is work out the return you can get on your cash in your business. That's also known as an indefinite rate of return or an annualized rate of return. In our company, we tend to return on equity or investment structures. And this obviously isn't a pitch for investment. This is just generally looking back at all the schemes we've delivered we tend to exceed about 50% return on cash per annum. What that means is, is that 60% of profit that we realize sooner by selling the site on is working really hard in our business. And to do that, you obviously have to make sure you have a strong pipeline, but that is the metrics we use. We look at our IRR, our return in our business. Would that cash be better performing, being sold, and then back into other projects and feeding that through? So those are the two metrics that we look at. And on a project basis, but last but not least, on a business perspective, if you've only got one site, is it logical to sell it? Because you might want to be building it out to keep you guys busy and, and deliver that site and realize the development project. When you're considering selling a site, make sure you have pipeline, make sure that money coming into the business can be utilized and, and worked hard because that's a really key factor. And pipeline is really key for that. We only really explore selling sites if one, the returns really strong and two, we have a really strong pipeline and we can afford to, to sell the schemes with consent. So it's, it's, I suppose it's a, a rhetorical question or, or maybe even a pondering question. Have you got any, are you busy? Have you got a really strong pipeline? Could you sell some sites? What sites would sell well? What could you realize as a profit and to, to better your business position? Um, and those are the thought processes we go through. Obviously, we love delivering stuff because we've got the team to do it. We've got two project managers. We've got an in-house QS who helps with acquisitions and we've got myself and Ben. So quite frequently, we'd be keen to deliver it, especially when you get invested in the whole process and how long it takes to get the site onboarded. But look back at your portfolio and and see what you've got coming up and see if you could flick it on, make a good profit, and then reinvest that capital into new projects. Anything else to add, add Ben? Yeah, just a bit of a side side note. You you kind of touched on it about auctions. I've been asked probably like four times in the last week about auctions. Oh, should I be looking at auction catalogue? Should I be doing this? We have only bought one thing in auction over the last five years and it was something that we reluctantly or the the seller reluctantly went to auction with after sort of poo-pooing our offer now we ended up buying it at auction for less than what our original offer was to the seller so they sort of um, shot themselves in the foot and lost out on about five grand's worth of extra value you know don't mind not making a margin they just want to move in do some refurbishment work and that's their you know forever home or live there for the next however many years so there are always people that are willing to pay more for a site than 
you would be. So we, we've sold a couple of things where we flipped it on, traded it on an auction, and that's really to get a cash injection back into the business, de-risk it, and you know move on to, to the next project. So auctions, I think, is probably something that we could talk about in length at a later date. Those of you that are looking at auctions, I'd love to understand what the auction market is looking like at the moment if you are active. We find a lot of stuff sells for you know above the GDV that we've we've sort of had a look at from from our perspective. So we don't know how how people are paying that much for them, but you know there are people out there that are willing to pay more than we are. Yeah, I think that's that's covered it well. Good. We will be sharing a little bit more about XP Surveys' event. I was uh, fortunate enough to be presenting about HMOs, designing HMOs, and also what we integrate to our HMOs. So there's two things that we can see on the screen here. I will go through them for podcast listeners. So first off, I just sort of educated the the audience on why HMOs, or what we call uh, co-living, really essential for the, the you know the sort of youth between 20 to 35 years old um, using Henley on Thames as an example this shows the cost of renting a one-bed flat against one renting an ensuite bedroom in our portfolio so if you look at the average one-bed flat in Henley on Thames is actually about 1500 per month in rent um, but we've used an example of a thousand pounds per month once you put council tax electricity gas water furnishing wi-fi that tends to cost anywhere between sort of 1200 to 1800 for that individual to rent a one-bed flat. As a HMO co-living landlord, we rent our rooms out, all bills included, for about £850 per month. So that saving can be anywhere upwards of £6,000 for that tenant that's renting our property, which arguably has more facilities, more communal space, a nicer bedroom finish because we really care about our product. Um, so the first port of call is I was just sharing with the with the architects in the room why HMOs exist because the people that you know are on salaries, the average salaries in in that sort of age bracket between twenty and thirty five, it's really important for them to get onto the property ladder. And the average age that a first time buyer enters the market today is thirty six years old, and you know that's only getting worse as time goes by. So we feel the product is helping people get on the property ladder, which sounds counterintuitive because you're sort of pitching uh, to your clients uh, that then eventually won't be clients, which is a, an interesting business model, a bit, but, bit like the uh, condom uh, industry. They're preventing future clients. But there you go. Weird, uh, weird analogy there. But I've got a few tips and products on HMO products that are on the screen, and I'll run through them with you guys. So the top left is Aspire heating system. So this is a system that we put in our properties and allows us, the landlord, to have more monitoring because uh, if it's not monitored, it can't be measured and it can't be improved. Obviously, with rising utility bills, this is a huge cost factor for us as a landlord. The Inspire thermostat can integrate with any boiler. You can set heating patterns. The tenants can only surge it for one hour, so they can't surge it when they're sleeping unless they're not sleeping. And they can't surge it while they're out at work. So that's almost like a B&B type heating model and works really well for us. We put PIR sensors in all of our electrical, integrated into our electrical in all the hallways and all the communal areas that people might be passing through. As quite frequently when it's a shared house, they don't take responsibility of turning off a hallway light if it was already on when they went into the hallway. And we want to be hot on that. We always use Worcester Bosch boilers. There's a really interesting fact that Worcester Bosch's R&D cost as a company exceeds its second in line competitor's revenue. 
So what that means is they're super durable, they're very reliable, and you don't really go wrong with the Worcester Bosch boiler. Integrated with the Worcester Bosch boiler, we fit Megaflow tanks into all of our properties, most commonly in the loft, because they're always large and take up loads of space. Um, and that allows all of our tenants, if we've got a six bed, six bar, it allows all of our tenants to be able to have a shower at the same time without water pressure loss or heated water loss. We always fit 25-year guarantee LVT flooring throughout our properties, and we always fit a pigmented carpet, which is basically a carpet that isn't a bold, consistent color. This tends to hide wear and tear a lot better um, because people, you know, drop drinks or spill things or haven't hoovered in a while, whatever it may be. And we always put carpets that are pigmented into our rooms because they don't age as quickly. Last but not least, and I won't go into too much detail, but Lumi Plugin is a product that we're certainly going to be integrated into our HMOs from now on. But I'll leave that for a few slides time because it's a bit of a spoiler. Good. Number three is about sort of getting financial clarity on your business. And, and this is something I know a lot of the listeners will uh, not have in place or you know they'll basically get to the end of the year they'll speak to their accountant and say oh how much money have we made how much tax do i have to pay how much profit have we made i mean how anyone runs their businesses like that i, I don't know but um you know it, it's very very common so we we got in touch with with josh keegan at the ultimate fd probably nine months ago now i've been listening to his podcast for two years um so if you you're not subscribed to that head over to um you know your podcast platform and Subscribe to the Ultimate FD if you want to understand how to really operate your business successfully with monthly management accounts that show you the performance and how healthy your business is. And often these are made up of three key things. So you've got your profit and loss, your PL. They'll have your balance sheet information, um, and there'll also be a cash flow forecast of some kind in there. If you don't have this in place and you're not reviewing it monthly, you don't really have any real certainty or clarity on how your business is performing. If you're like me, when I first started business, you know I was purely led by how much money do I have in my bank account. You know that's that's sort of how I judged the health of my business. Really, not a good way of looking at things. Doesn't really give you a good sense of direction, the past performance, the true value of your your business. So having a uh, you know bookkeeping system. A finance manager or you know a financial director that helps lead these three key things and report on them monthly is just so important to catch any potential cash flow issues early It'll give you time to kind of factor that in and go and raise more finance or, or trim costs or you know do what you need to do to kind of keep cash flow going without one of these it's you know it's very difficult to have that clarity on your business anything that you wanted to touch on jack no, I mean, you covered most of it from the outset, but, but really, I think one of the really key things for us, in, and I mentioned when we were talking about selling sites, is it's a lumpy business. The cash flow is, is the hardest part. A lot of successful businesses fail on cash flow before they fail on profit. And if you don't have the cash flow, you can't make the profit. Um, so it's a really, really key factor. But we can sort of depict areas in our business well ahead of time when we're going to come up into a problem. Ben and I actually had a call the other day. Uh, and I said, I think this is the most advanced we've talked about a cash flow problem, uh, which is really good and really strong because you could sort of forecast, you know, months, years ahead to, to really realize the problem and then solve it. What you don't want to be doing is solving it when you're in the problem. It's very stressful, very painful. You sometimes have to pay a lot of cost for that money or, or that problem. So, yeah. So just to touch on that. 
and and you know we I feel like we've got really good clarity on projects coming in and you know and project timing and sort of analyzing the risk of you know let's say this product sold two two months later what sort of impact does that have on the wider business I was about to jump into kind of going into each of those three in a bit more detail in terms of what they are how they're broken down probably needs a bit longer so I won't do that today but if if you are interested in learning a little bit about profit and loss accounts balance sheets cash flow forecasting let us know below and we can we can focus on it in greater depth in another week and talk you through some of our management accounts for example um, but they're quite complicated like I said at the start um, go and listen to Josh's podcast the ultimate FD to get a real sense of um, you know from the pros exactly uh, what should go into these but um I might well do a, a full sort of breakdown on another week cool so this week we were meant to be going go ape but um the wind and the rain was a bit too much so it got cancelled so we end up sort of going for lunch and going bowling but um it was all off the back of a performance incentive process that we have within um or architecture my, my architectural practice and i would implore kind of people to think about what you can do to your for your staff to incentivize them and reward them for essentially hitting certain targets. We've just been talking about P&Ls. The guys will probably get very, very frustrated with me constantly telling them that you know we're not hitting our targets, we're not making our gross profit margin. That then has an effect on the net profit margin. Um, and effectively, you know, our business is reliant on the team's efficiency and the gross profit margin to then drop down to the net, the, the net position and, and the profitability of the company. So we have a couple of things in place Every month we will go on a sort of lunch outing first Tuesday of every month. That is just something that I like to do because it's, you know, builds rapport within the team and the, the sort of company culture that I'm, I'm after. And then the bonus performance incentives are based on gross profit margin. I mentioned earlier, effectively, the, the gross profit margin is really reliant on the efficiency of the team. So we target you know, an absolute minimum of 45% gross profit margin. But realistically, we want to be up at above the 50%, maybe 50, 51%, 52%. And the performance incentives are ratcheted as that increases. So baseline 45% gets us once every quarter, half a day out of the office to do an activity to go for lunch, that type of thing. If they hit 47%, they get you know a company-wide bonus. If they get 49%, that bonus is larger. So you know they are financially incentivized to... Uh, be more efficient, to work hard, to make the company money. And everyone buys into this. If you were like me when I first started as a business owner, where I was very, very cars close to my chest in terms of how much I talked about the company finances and the company accounts, you know, I completely understand why. What I would say to you is that you should be the complete opposite. And since I have been far more open whereby Every month we will review our, our monthly you know, accounts. I'll give an update to the team on our on, on our calls as to financially where we are, um, what revenue we're looking to bring in this month, whether we hit our targets from the month before, how we're doing on a rolling quarterly basis. You know, are we on the project the trajectory and the, the the projection to hit our yearly targets that we set every year? And that really does bring the whole team into you know, wanting to see the business grow, seeing how their work affects the whole business kind of stability and health of the business. And since I have started doing that, like I get even sort of junior staff members sort of ask, you 
know, how much should I be invoicing for a month? Or, you know, what are the metrics that I need to follow myself? And how do we, how are we tracking that? You know, that's fantastic for someone to sort of come to you asking how they can be better for the business is just, you know, that's the type of culture that I want in my businesses. So everyone's understanding of the business health, where we stand financially, they're incentivized to do better. And, you know, the, the, the feedback that we get from this is, is so positive, both for each individual's progression, but also you know, the business growth going forward. So yeah, if you've got performance incentives in your business, I'd love to know what, what they are. There's always good ways and different ways of doing things. And if there's a better way of doing something or something else that I can introduce to the team, no, I'd love to know. So let me know below. I think that actually touches on really cleanly on the previous slide that we, we were talking about financial clarity on your business. If Ben's sitting his team down and looking at gross profit margin once a month, how can he do that without clarity on the finance? Then, you know, make changes and make decisions. Exactly that. This is just a short message to ask, is your business making the consistent profits you want? Or are you struggling to take your business from five figures to six figures or six figures to seven figure revenues? If this is you and you want one-to-one guidance from award-winning property developers and business owners, check out our consultancy and mentorship packages at xpproperty.co.uk to book in with Ben or Jack today. Let's get on with the episode. So XP Surveys, which is our youngest company, which has been running for three years now. Uh, You can see a lovely photo of the team there. We're four surveyors, a business manager, a marketing assistant, myself and Ben. We do um, measured building surveys, topographical surveys. Uh, If anyone out there would like us to quote for any other work, we'd love to. Shameless plug there. But we put on our second event by popular demand, and we're trying to get construction people, property people, and architects in a room to discuss interesting things, uh, you know, once every few months. And it was yesterday uh, evening, huge success. We had a really good turnout. And I think everyone was flabbergasted by Bob Ward's uh, presentation on Luby plugin. Uh, we made the joke that if it was on Dragon's Den, we would have all been in. So his product is essentially integrating services, m that you need from a ceiling of a building, whether that be sensors, biosensors, it might be lighting, it might be sprinklers. And he integrates that all into the essentially the same space as a downlight. So you have all of the services integrated as one with the lighting ring around it. He's an ex-firefighter, so it was actually really interesting something coming from that perspective and understanding the ins and outs literally um, off the back of you know off the back of his experience and a really investable story, really, how he had to go and test it in a different country because it was against regulations to do it in this country. But if you haven't checked out his product, do check it out. We're happy to intro you to him. We're going to be trying to integrate this into all of our developments and commercial conversions. Uh, we think they're a great product. So we're fortunate enough to have Bob talk. It was funny after he finished talking, everyone just gravitated towards the front and wanted to speak to him. I don't know if my talk had that impact. Probably a little bit more boring talking about compliance and fire and design in, in HMOs, but it was a good event. Um, and if you would like to come along to our next event, it's hosted in Henley on Thames. We have free food, free drinks. All we ask you to do is come along, network and enjoy yourself and consume what we put out um, uh, as, from a food and drink perspective. But it was good fun. And we will be getting a new one lined up for uh, in a couple of months' time, probably just one just before Christmas. Um, so do join us if you would like to come. We'll obviously have new speakers. And if anyone would like to speak at the event, um, do reach out. Yeah, if um, anybody wants... Bob's slides from the event. Um, I'll put a link down below where you can request that and we can send it across. 
it was you know it was a very entertaining talk as well as being an incredible product like jack says and you know there were lots of oohs and wows as you know he talk, started talking about the next next products everyone was, was very engaged in it um he's done i think he was saying to me three years ago they did 120,000 lights the year after that i did 300,000 Last year they did six hundred thousand lights, and they're on for like one point two, one point three million lights um, being installed of their system um, this year, which is absolutely amazing. And they're, they're they're developing all sorts of new integrations for MVHR systems, so mechanical extracts that sort of you know sit in between the lights in the center of the light fitting. So yeah, um, amazing product. Really, really happy happy for Bob. It seems to be going really well, and um, yeah, we're we're really interested to support him on that. One thing I also want to talk about in terms of you know, why do we do events like the, the Build and Bond event as XP surveys? When you're a company, you really should be trying to target your avatar client. Now, our avatar client is architects. You know, we build good lifetime client value with them. They don't just use us once. You know, we've got our, um, architects that have used us 30 plus times or have used XP servers, I think, like 78 times now. Um, and we will obviously continue to to do so. So building rapport with architects is a massive revenue generator for us for for longevity and sort of certainty of work going forward. So we you know bashed our heads together, brainstormed about you know what is the best way of getting in front of of, of architects and holding our own event where we are pulling in as many sort of local architects as we possibly can. We felt like it was a great way of doing that and building those relationships off the back of yesterday's meeting uh heather's already had conversations with three architects within the room that want to use us and instruct us on their next projects so um yeah for us this was a, a very good way of getting in front of our avatar client selling our services and building relationships for the longer term so yeah it was a great event what have we got next so um we're currently interviewing by the time you listen to this uh you know we may have already filled the role but um we are looking for an office manager um, and marketing manager all, all wrapped up in one um, so somebody with a strong marketing background that um, also has some admin experience. Um, we had another interview yesterday, which was very interesting, and we'll continue to sort of do so into next week. One thing that I wanted to flag up, and for those that are on the podcast that can't see, I've effectively screenshotted something that that Jack pulled together to discuss with this candidate, and something that I feel like we will probably implement going forward to really give the candidate a sense of what their role entails because a job description you know saying things like you know you'll be you'll be leading the marketing you'll be managing email inboxes there'll be office management where you're like sorting out google drive and paper filing you're doing be doing events coordination creating presentations like that's great and that's the list of you know tasks and sort of jobs that are part of that job role but what jack's done is sort of take that a step further and kind of try to break down the percentage of each of those tasks that fulfill the role. So, you know, 30% of the job role will be more of the marketing lead. 25% of the role will probably be the events coordination, liaising with our boardroom groups, our mentees, our investor open days. You know, and only really 5% of that will be managing email inboxes. So it helps to manage the um, potential candidates, you know, expectations and sort of time management in their head. You know, if it was only a, if it was a marketing and office manager role, where only ten percent of the role was the marketing, well, okay, that might get the that might attract the wrong person that really wants to be heavily involved in the marketing in the events. So splitting it down into the percentage of 
their likely time spent in each element of the job role, um, I think is actually something that, that we will sort of take forward into our future jobs. And you know, it, hopefully it's a it's a good thing for, for you guys to take away and use in your own um, recruitment process. Anything else you wanted to say, Jack? Yeah, I think just touching on that, that becomes ever so more important when you've got investors that need communicating with and we're talking about their money, which is of more value than our own money. And that job might be not prioritized to managing the CRM system. So it's also prioritizing as well as giving the candidate expectations. Our non-exec advisor always, always drills into us what's on the job description. Have you looked back at the job description? What is that? You know, and it's it's actually, I actually used to work in recruitment. And to some degree, I didn't take as much notice of the job description, more character fit and, and seeing what that person you know, would engage like within that potential organization. But the reason you write a job description is to fill a hole or a need or a requirement in the business and make sure that that's really, really accurate and really well thought out. Otherwise, you will have cracks two years down the line when they're actually more interested in doing X, Y, and Z because you said that once in an interview. Whereas if it's really clear on the job description, you can tend, tend not to deviate off that. Yeah, two more things actually to add to this that I think will add quite a lot of value. Uh, one is a job advert is not a job description. And what I think we've made this mistake before where we've kind of almost put the job advert in front of the person and that goes into their you know recruitment file as what they're expected to do. A job advert, yeah, should be, should contain the relevant items and tasks that are expected of that person. But a job description really needs to go into a huge amount of more detail in terms of KPIs, what they're expected, what the outcome of them being in the business should do for for the company, amongst you know lots of lots of other interesting things. Um, the second point was actually I think I just said it in terms of what is the outcome in the business that they are brought in to do. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. It, you know, it's very. I remember when I when I hired Graham, one of the one things that he remembers from our original interview was me saying one of the key things I want you in this business for is for me to be looking on my social, the Aura social media, you know, on, on Instagram, for example, to see a post on Aura come up of a project I have no idea about. You know, his role is to take away the day-to-day management of the team, to bring projects through the business, and success within his role would be me seeing projects flow through the business that I have no clue about. Um, and he remembers that. And I think that's very key. You know, why are they in the business? Or why are you looking to bring them into the business? Yeah, I, I rambled on there, but um, hope you got the, hopefully you got the point. Just a quick update. I, I'm really super happy. Like the past week, we've released five new episodes. And in the last week, we've had 84 people listen to our podcast. So yeah, that's a great improvement. You can start seeing the wiggly lines. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the wiggly lines. If you're listening on the podcast, um, I, you know, hopefully we're way more than 400 views by the time this gets out. But um, yeah, if you haven't headed over to CastBox, Amazon Music, Spotify or um, Apple Music to follow and subscribe the Property Experts podcast. You're missing out, so do so now. I would like to say, actually, for the podcast listeners, obviously this is a live video on on YouTube every week, and a lot of people I know do actually listen to this on on podcast. If you have any Q and Q and A questions, just DM us on any social media channel or email us at info at xpproperty.co.uk because podcast listeners can ask questions and we will answer them. Cool. So on to, on to the big one. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of change in the market. You know, we don't have time to talk about inflation or interest rates. 
interest rates have remained stagnant, which is obviously great for us. And um, yeah, we're not going to go too much into that. One of the key things that have come out for landlords this week is that Rishi Sunak has effectively scrapped the EPC changes that he was trying to bring in, uh, which started off at 2025 for EPCs needing to be a a C rating or above um, for you to sort of legally let out your property. That then get pushed back to 2028. Um, and now it's been scrapped altogether. Now, I, I'm, I'm big for sustainability. I do think it was it was trying to be brought in way too fast. And I think they've come to the conclusion that the cost of, of doing that for, you know, Joe Bloggs, homeowner, is extensive and a lot. So, yeah, they, they've scrapped the policy for now. Whether they bring something you know, back in a couple of years' time will remain to be seen. But um, for now, there's been a banning of, um, sorry, they, they've binned that EPC change that they were trying to bring in. That's positively affected us uh, because on one of our refinances, there were a number of units that were a D and an E, and the lender was on a 10-year product. So they were looking ahead five years thinking, well, in five years' time, if you have to do a series of refurbishments to increase your EPC rating, how much is that going to cost you? We need to factor that in now, which you know, uh, you know I can kind of understand their logic. What they asked us to do, and for those of you that aren't aware of this, there is something called either an EPC plus or a MEES assessment, which stands for Minimum Energy Efficiency Standards. And effectively what that is, is to take your, your generic EPC. So somebody goes out, it does, they do all the research, um, investigate the property, complete the, the EPC SAP assessment to pr- produce your EPC report. But they go one step further to look at what needs to be done to improve your EPC rating to a certain level. So they will give you a series of things like if you install LED lighting, this will improve your EPC rating by three points and take you from this level to this level. If you installed PV panels, this EPC rating would go from here to here. So that's what an EPC plus or a MEES assessment can do for you. That's what our lender asked us to provide them. Um, And what it goes on to also say is if you installed X, Y, and Z, this is how much X, Y, and Z should cost you. So if you need to upgrade to LED lights, it might only be 200 quid. If you need to install PV solar panels, it might cost you eight grand to do. So the idea of the, the lender was that they got a, a report saying, if we need to improve to a C rating, this is how much it's going to cost. And then they can decide whether or not they want to lend to us longer term. But yeah, interesting. interestingly, we're uh, in Central Suites, we're buying a greater listed building in Wallingford, which is in Oxfordshire. And the retail space in the building is actually a class G. So this is pretty good news for us in that capacity. It might not be an issue because we'll try and sell it to a small company that wants their own their own freehold on the high street of, of Wallingford. But I think we'd really struggle to get that up. I think for it's also good to point out for the listeners in our commercial conversions and new build stuff that XB Property deliver, uh, we tend to aim for an A or a B EPC. But this obviously becomes a problem when you're buying, you know, heritage buildings or historic buildings that that need more work than 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 you know converting an office that might only be thirty years old. Um, so it's definitely been a topical point, and we always want to be try and be ahead of the curve when it comes to sustainability and energy performance. But in this particular scenario, we've got a little bit of a win to hopefully get the building society, who's the lender, on board to just crack on. Good stuff. Did you have a question that you wanted to go through? Q&A. Yeah, so this was one of the questions that was asked. It's on that slide. 
that was asked on at the event yeah. last night. So the question was, do you get all your money out on a HMO refinance? And it's a question I love answering because I don't think people always necessarily think about the repercussions of investment value revaluations and trying to pull out as much money as you can on your properties. So what this means is when you're buying a house to convert it to a HMO, and then you're taking a residential bricks and mortar value property to a yield valuation, what I mean by yield valuation is taking the income and valuing it on the income. So that is a, you get a cap rate. So that's the value in the area. So let's say we operate in Henley on Thames, it might be 8% is the value of that yield. So we'll take the gross rent per annum and uh, divide that by an 8% yield, which gives us the property valuation. What you then find is you're in an area where you've got a commercial valuation and the valuation might, and in most instances in larger HMOs, exceeds the pound per square foot valuation. In our private HMO company, uh, in XP property and in central suites, we focus purely on bricks and mortar valuation for the main reason that if we start delivering quite a significant portfolio in that location, and when we set out, we were getting £850 per bed, we might start to saturate the market or other people might start to saturate the market, which bring down the room rates in the area, which means your old valuation five years ago or three years ago might actually mean that your debt is higher than what it actually is worth. So we always stick to bricks and mortar valuations. Our average refinance leaves in anywhere between 10 to £80,000, and we're very comfortable doing so in building our portfolio. So I hope that's answered the question. And also, I'm sure that's brought out some question marks for a few people. And I'd love to hear any comments if anyone wants to hear a little bit more about how we do that. Nice. Good. I have just put in the description, sorry, the comments below a link to if you require or want any of our documents, our templates, material and slides and decks that we use. Let us know via that link what you would like um, and we will see if we can share it. I think that is everything, unless there's anything else you wanted to run through. No, all good, my end. Perfect. Well, thanks for listening in. Subscribe and follow if you don't already. And we will see you next Friday. See you next week. These live Q&A episodes are all about helping you grow your business and build a property portfolio that provides financial wealth. If you have specific topics that you'd like us to discuss, make sure to comment on the platform you're listening on or email info at xpproperty.co.uk so that we can discuss your topic in future episodes. And if you found these conversations valuable for growing your business, make sure to click that follow button and we'd really love for you to tell just one person about us. Thank you.